Those of you who are new here, uh, welcome here. We're glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Chris Dirks. I'm the main teaching pastor here at Southland. I've been gone the last couple of weeks on holidays. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back now. I couldn't believe how much rain you guys got. We, only, uh, we always go on holidays out in Ontario, uh, southern Ontario. It's a long drive. And, uh, and so I'm not connected with internet or news or, or anything like that. So we had no idea what was going on. We came back. At, last Sunday we were driving back and we came up through uh, Emerson. We were crossing the bridge there at St. Agathe. And I, I was shocked. I looked at how swollen the river was. I said, oh, oh boy, I hope our house is still, uh, still standing. They've obviously gotten a lot of rain. And then as we, as we drove, we saw the fields soaking wet. I couldn't believe it got home. Some of the branches on our trees were broken off. But uh, uh, fortunately, our basement was not flooded. And I'm glad to be here. Our, when we go to church uh, on our holidays there in Tobermory, uh, totally different experience. It's amazing. God's there too. He ministers to us too. Uh, totally different experience than coming to church here. It's just a tiny little church, maybe 40 or 50 people. Uh, some Sundays, you know, we show up there uh, with our four kids, and it's like as soon as we come in, we'll see people glancing at each other, and quickly someone volunteers to be uh, the kidsmen leader for that day, and uh, uh, and it's just so fun. You know, God speaks there too. It's so awesome, and uh, but it's always good to be back as well. And so we're just going to carry on now with our uh, Sermon on the Mount series, which I started a few weeks before I left on holidays, and we've just been working our way through verse by verse. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters. It's Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And we've just been working our way through it, the Beatitudes and so on and so, up, so forth. And today we come to verses 21 to 26. Uh, in your Bibles, it's probably got a heading called Anger. I'm going to read it now, we'll pray, and then we'll get into this. Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray and then we'll do this. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, first of all, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, this powerful sermon where you show us what kingdom living looks like. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that you are life. When we connect with you and walk with you and obey you, that is life. That is life. That is joy. That is wonderful. I thank you for this message, and I pray that you, that you gave us. And I pray that as we dig into to your words on anger, Lord Jesus, and how we treat people, Jesus, I just pray that your life would overtake our hearts, that you would give us hope, and that you would change us for the better. In your name we pray. Amen. So verse 21, you have heard that it was said of old. Kind of a transition here in the Sermon uh, on the Mount up to this point. The first three messages I preached uh, were intro sections. Uh, Jesus was introing a few things and who he was and who he was speaking to. And now we get to this place, verse 21, you have heard that it was said of old. It's a formula we're going to see over and over and over again for the next uh, few weeks. And what Jesus is doing, you've heard that it was said of old, you're going to see it next week, you've heard that it was said of old, and he's, what he's doing is he's reaching back into the Old Testament, and he's pulling out Old Testament commands, important Old Testament commands, and he's interpreting them for us. 
okay? And so we're going to see this with a whole bunch of different things. He's going to do it with murder here uh, today, what we're going to see this morning. Uh, he's going to do it with lust and divorce and oath-taking and, and retaliation, all the kind of stuff. He's going to do it for the next few weeks. This is the section of the Sermon on the Mount we're on now, is Jesus is taking Old Testament commands, and he's not canceling them, not at all. Some people have taken it that way. He's not canceling the Old Testament laws. He's interpreting them for us. So he says, he starts this part. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, okay? You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And he's quoting Exodus 20, verse 13 here, one of the most uh, famous verses, one of the, you know, the Ten Commandments, obviously very famous, and it is one of the, um, one of the famous of the famous. It's one of the most, uh, you know, well-known of the commandments of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And he's quoting that here, okay? You shall not murder, Okay, and then verse 22, but I say to you, so now he's going to interpret the command. Now you remember, just before I left on holidays, the last message I preached, we looked at verses 17 to 20 of the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the things we looked at in there is that Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of the law. And what we looked at in that message is, is, is we saw how uh, the main way in which Jesus is the fulfillment of the law is that we looked at how in the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, the stories and the laws and the prophecies, all pointed ahead to this Messiah, this Savior that would come. And so the main sense in which Jesus was the fulfillment of the law is that he was the Messiah. Like the, the Old Testament pointed to this Messiah, the Savior. Jesus was the Messiah, that Savior. So the Old Testament was pointed to him. So that was the, that's the main sense in which Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But there's another sense in which Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and that is in his teaching and in his living Jesus uh, it, it interprets, he explains what the law, what obedience to the law is really supposed to look like. Okay, so if you think about it this way, if the Old Testament laws kind of sketch out a picture, like a, like a black and white picture, the, the Old Testament laws sketch out a, a, a basic picture, what does it look like to live a life that is pleasing to Jesus? Okay, if that's what the Old Testament laws do, Jesus comes along in the Gospels and by his teaching and by his living, he fills in a whole bunch of details and adds color and brings that sketch to life. Okay, does that make sense? So the Old Testament, you get this sketch, this basic outline of some commandments. This is what life, you know, a life that pleases God looks like. Jesus comes along and he says, and this is what it really looks like. And he, he, he explains it more fully. He adds detail. He brings it to life. Okay? Now, any of those, those of you here who are uh, teachers or parents, you will understand why this is necessary sometimes, right? Because you can give somebody a rule and they can follow that rule perfectly and still totally miss the, the intent and the purpose behind the rule. Is that not true? I mean, for example, you could tell your kids, uh, you know, lights out at nine, okay? And so you tell them, lights out at nine. Make sure, Joy, you know, that's my eldest da oldest daughter, you know, make sure, you know, you, you turn off the lights at, ni at nine o'clock. And, and then, you know, it, it's, it's 9.30 and you hear sounds coming from downstairs and it's laughing and talking and you think to yourself, I told them lights out at nine, right? And so you're getting yourself worked up a little bit here, now you're going to go downstairs and put an end to this. You go downstairs, the lights are out, okay? They're playing hide-and-go-seek in the dark, right? Isn't that true how kids do it, okay? So they obeyed the letter. Did they not obey the letter of the law? They obeyed the law. They obeyed the rule. Totally missed. Absolutely totally missed the purpose. The purpose was you need rest. You need to get up tomorrow. You need to have sleep. It's quiet time now. You need to let the, the little kids sleep. And so they can obey the letter, totally miss the purpose and intent. They can obey the letter and completely disobey the purpose of it, right? Or you're on a long trip, 
you know, you're, you're, you're driving and you're driving, and now two of them are fighting in the back, right? And finally you turn around and you say, you, you are not allowed to touch each other ever again, or you're not allowed to touch each other for the rest of this trip, right? And I know you guys have those problems. I just have to think of, you know, uh, stories I've heard other people tell me my kids are perfect. But anyway, um, <laughs> you're, you're not allowed to touch each other anymore, right? And then you keep driving, then you hear, oh, they're fighting again. And you turn back, well, they're not touching each other anymore. They're making faces, they're blowing on each other, and that sort of thing, right? Now again, have they obeyed? They've obeyed the letter of the law, right? They've, they've obeyed the rule that you gave them, totally missed the intent, totally missed the purpose. While they were obeying the letter, they were actually disobeying the, 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 the intent, okay? Same thing, Old Testament laws. God gave us these laws, okay? But he didn't give us a law for every possible scenario that a human being could, could encounter. That'd be impossible. The, the Bible would have to be 10 feet thick or 20 feet thick with 10 million you know, do's and don'ts. He didn't give us a specific, this is what you do then, this is what you do then. No, no. He gave us a broad brush, the Ten Commandments and some other important laws. Okay? This is what it looks like to, to follow God. And if you have God's heart and you obey those laws, you'll nail it. But us sinful human beings, we look at those broad strokes, we look for technicalities, and we find ourselves, you know, obeying a lot of these laws like do not murder and stuff. And that, that's not too hard, right? I mean, really, do not murder Let's just face it, that one's pretty easy. Most of you in here have kept it. I have, I've never, like this would be, I've never, I've never been tempted to murder someone, okay? Now, I don't have teenagers yet, so I could change. <laughs> um, I, but I never, so, but, so, but we keep the letter, and, and, but you can keep the letter and totally miss. You can be keeping the letter all you want, and if you have the wrong heart, you can actually be completely disobeying, just like with lights out or don't touch each other. You can be obeying the letter. You can totally, absolutely miss the heart and the intent because those laws are a lot bigger than just what the letter says. It's not just, you know, God cares a lot more than just don't kill each other, okay? And so what Jesus did, part of the way he fulfilled the law is he came along and he said, okay, you've got the sketch. You've got the Old Testament sketch. I'm going to fill in a whole bunch more detail now and bring these laws to life. This is what God was actually, it's a lot bigger than just lights out. It was a lot bigger than just don't touch each other. It was a lot bigger than just don't murder and don't lie and don't steal. Okay? A lot bigger than that. The intent, I just gave you the words, but your heart's wrong. You're totally missing it. A lot bigger than that, it actually has to do with how you treat people because you can not kill someone physically and kill them emotionally, can't you? You can, you can obey the command to not murder and still trample on people and abuse people, can't you? And so he comes along, verse 22, he says, but I say to you, so I'm going to fill up this, I'm going to explain this thing, I'm going to bring this to life for you. It wasn't just about don't kill each other, Okay? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I'll just stop there for just a moment. I want to make sure we don't have a misunderstanding here right off the top. Some people have just taken this to mean that, you know, any kind of anger is bad. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Stephen preached an awesome message. I uh, got to watch it this past weekend with LaDawn online. And, uh, but he preached a whole message uh, where a big chunk of it was about anger. He talks in there about how there is a good kind of anger, Okay. Some people have taken this verse to mean Jesus is saying it's never okay to be angry. If you're angry at all, you're, you're in danger of jun- judgment. But the fact of the matter is, uh, anger alerts us that there's been injustice, right? That's what uh, Stefan talked about. And it's certainly true. Someone does something bad to someone else. If there's injustice, you should feel anger. You shouldn't sin in your anger. That's not the kind of anger Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about an abusive kind of anger 
where you are angry without cause, and in your anger, you are hurting people. It's a lashing out anger. We'll look at that a bit more uh, later as well. But he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, okay? So, whoa, the first commandment, you shall not murder, didn't nail too many of us. We thought, oh, I'm safe. I'm going to stay for this message, okay? And then Jesus says, and now let me show you the fulfillment. Let me show you what this law was really all about. It's a lot more than just not killing each other. It's actually about not hurting each other. See, it actually comes down to human beings. Every human being is so precious and valuable to Jesus, okay? And every single human being is made in the image of God. And that's what makes murder so bad. That's why it's the fact that every human being is made in the image of God and is precious and valuable to God. That's why to kill someone, to take someone's life, is such a vile sin. Hence, do not murder. But Jesus says the same thing that makes murder a vile sin, the fact that every person is made in the image of God and every person is tremendously precious and valuable, that's why murder is bad to begin with. The same thing that makes murder bad, though, is the same thing that makes it bad. How dare you, to someone who is made in the image of God, to someone who is so precious and valuable to Jesus, how dare you use your words to cut such a person down, to wound such a person, to belittle or to have contempt against such a person? So Jesus says, hey, 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 guys, guys, guys. It's not just, you know, lights out. It's not just don't touch each other. It's not just don't murder. It's about every person is so valuable to God that you don't dare, not only dare not kill them physically, you don't dare to kill them emotionally or relationally in your anger, to lash out, to wound, and to hurt. This is, this is true of all the Old Testament laws. It's not just don't murder. Don't murder is all about people are valuable Treat them with respect, treat them with dignity at all times, even when you're angry. Okay? And this is true of all the Old Testament laws. Jesus shows us this later in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to jump ahead for one second to a verse, Matthew chapter 7, that's still part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Matthew 7, verse 12, he's going to sum up the whole Old Testament. Okay? In Jesus' day, they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. Okay? In many ways, I don't like that we call it the Old Testament because it makes it seem old, like it's not applicable today. Okay? But they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. They called it the Law and the Prophets. This is what Jesus said about the Law and the Prophets. He said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the Law and the Prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he sums it up. He says, if you want to sum up all the the moral laws in the Old Testament into one statement, if you could sum it up into one sentence, I could sum up all those laws for you in one sentence. It is, do to others what you would have them do to you. That's what all of the laws in the Old Testament, the, the, the Old Testament laws are not random do's and don'ts. It's not, a lot of people have this idea, the laws in the Old Testament are random do's and don'ts. These are things that make God mad. These are things that make him happy, and it's, and it's just sort of arbitrary. It's not arbitrary. Every single one of those laws, do not murder, is not just an arbitrary law. It's all about this whole concept that people are tremendously valuable and precious, and so you should only do to them as you would have done to yourself. You treat them as valuable and as having dignity, Okay? He said it another way in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. He said the same principle, just use a little bit different words. He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at this, he's going to sum up the Old Testament again, the Law and the Prophets. He says, on these two commandments, love God and love people. On these two, love God, love people, 
On these two commandments depends all of the Old Testament. All of the Law and the Prophets is all about what? Loving God and loving people. So it's not just do not murder. See, in our sinfulness, we just take the law and go, okay, okay, I can do that. And then we just keep taking advantage of people and hurting people and abusing people and talking bad. And he says, you totally missed it. Because it's not just about do not murder. It's so much bigger. The heart behind do not murder is not just don't kill people. The heart is they're valuable. People are valuable. So you love them just as much as you love yourself. And you tr- would never treat anyone with disrespect any more than what you would want treated to you. Love others and as yourself and do to them as you would have done to you. Now, I want to take a little uh, rabbit trail here off of anger just for a moment because I, I really want to make this real, okay? Uh, I want to make this real because I find if we're, if we're just theory, too much theory, then we think that we have it, but we don't have it, and we're not really uncomfortable because actually this teaching challenges us at the basic core of everything we do, okay? So I'm going to jump off of anger for just a second. I want to show you that every single one of the laws it's not just about the letter of the law. It's about loving people, treating them with dignity, and loving them like you love yourself, okay? So um, let's look at Leviticus 19, 35 to 36, and let's do an example here, okay? Leviticus 19, 35 to 36 says this. Do not use dishonest standards when me- measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, okay? So this is one of the Old Testament laws about, it's just basically be honest and, and tell the truth and, and don't lie, but be honest in all of your business dealings, right? That, that's an Old Testament law, okay? Now, we're going we're gonna to make this real practical for just a second. I wanna, let's talk about sales, okay? Okay, let's just talk about that for just a moment because we could pick anything, but we're just going to pick that one for now and just make this real, real, okay? Because this law is not just about don't lie to your customer. It's about a lot more than just don't be false, okay? Remember, all of the laws are love others. That's what they're about. It's not just the letter. It's the heart is love others, okay? So let's imagine you're a salesperson, okay? Nothing wrong with being a salesperson. Many godly people in sales here in this church, it's a great calling. You can help people and and do all kinds of great things for God. It's awesome, okay? Let's imagine you're a salesperson. You read this passage, and you go, yep, I did that. Okay, you, you made some sales that day and you go, I didn't lie to anyone. I didn't use any false accounting. I didn't make any false promises. I only said true things. And, and so I followed this law. Okay, and probably you did, especially if you're following Jesus. Probably, there's no, no doubt, you did. Okay, but let's look at this a little deeper. It's because it goes beyond the letter. There's always the intent. It's not just lights out, kids, and now you play hide and seek in the dark, right? It is, there's more to this. It's about treating people right, loving people like you love yourself. Okay? So let's, let's think about it this way. I, a, a guy came into my uh, office some time ago, and he used to be in a particular uh, field of sales, and he talked about how when he was in that field of sales, uh, they would go to courses all the time and conferences, and they would learn psychological techniques, how to get people to spend more money than they came in intending to spend. Okay? And so you, they, would, they would learn all kinds of techniques, like if someone comes in to buy something, and they say such and such a number is what they have to spend. If you say such and such a number back, you can get them subconsciously to up their price, what they're willing to spend. And, and here's other techniques for how you get them to buy more than they came in intending to buy. Now, again, I am not against salespeople, okay? And I'm not against people, salespeople. Salespeople is great. We've been helped so much by salespeople who have helped us get a, a home, uh, helped us get our vehicle. I mean, it's, it's wonderful, okay? And I don't mind 
I had, don't mind at all uh, salespeople learning techniques how to sell better. Like, as long as those techniques are being used to help me and make profit, it's not, God's not against people making profit. It's not bad to want to make profit. It's not bad to work hard to make profit. It, I mean, to have a business, you have to be profitable to eat, to, to keep going. It's important to make profits. Profits are not bad. They're not unspiritual. It's not bad to make lots of profits and be successful, okay, so long as you're walking with Jesus, okay? So my problem is not with techniques. My, my problem is not with going to conferences and learning to be better. But the question is, are we using techniques only to make profit, or are we using techniques to make profit and help people at the same time? Okay? Because that, that's a different thing. Because maybe you weren't thinking about it that way, but you might be thinking to yourself, um, uh, totally, I didn't lie. Okay? But now if you've used a technique where it is, now you've made yourself more profit and you didn't lie, but you actually had no concern for the other person, um, there's a line there where this now becomes manipulation, isn't there? And suddenly you're at a place now where you're actually not helping people in your pursuit of profits, which is not bad. It's not bad to pursue profits. You have to pursue profits. That has to be a primary focus of what you do if you're in, in business because you have to, it's like breathing. You have to have profits to have a business, to, to live, to work, all that sort of stuff. But now if you're pursuing profits in a way where you're not trying to help people, then you're actually, it's possible to get to a place where you're not lying, but you're breaking this law. Isn't that true? Because all of the laws are about doing others as you would have them do to you. So you say, well, that's a fuzzy line. How do I know where that line is? Simple. Thank goodness Jesus came along, right? He said, do unto others what you would have them do to you. And one of the things this guy said to me is he had to get out of this particular sales place. Not that you couldn't be a godly salesperson in that, in that place, but for him, he couldn't because he said, he said, when I go to buy things, I tell the salespeople, because the, the techniques are so effective, he said, when I go to buy things, I tell them not to talk to me. They're that effective. And I'll come talk to them when I'm ready to buy it, okay? So for him, he said, do unto others as you would have them do to you. If, you. if the techniques you're using on people are something you would not want them using on you, then you're breaking this law. Is that not true? Okay? Now some of you are having a hard time with this. How about think about, think about it this way. Imagine you have grown children. And, and you just had a son and daughter get married, let's say, may, and maybe they've been married for a little while, and now they're expecting uh, a, a child, okay? And you know they're operating on a shoestring budget, okay? If they go to buy whatever it is, a house, car, furniture, whatever it is, if they go to buy something, would you want the salesperson on, those, on that lovely couple, your son and daughter, uh, would you want the salesperson using the techniques on them that you use on customers every day? That's something to think about. Your 75-year-old grandma goes to buy something, whatever it is, an expensive item. Would you want the salesperson using on them, on your grandma, your 75-year-old grandma, your 80-year-old grandma, would you want the salesperson using technique on your grandma that you use on customers every day? It's not bad to use techniques. It's not bad to use techniques that make profit. I have no problem with that. I have no problem going to courses and learning how to sell better and how to sell more. As long as that whole time... You are remembering that the law is not about just not lying. It's not about just, did I say true things? It's, did I love the other person? Did I love them like myself? Did I do unto others as I would have them do to me or to my loved ones? Jesus comes along and he was the fulfillment of the law because he showed us it's so much more than just the letter. You say, but I need to do this to be profitable. Well, again, amen. Don't hear me saying here, it's bad to make profit or it's bad to be successful. Make lots of profit for the kingdom. 
God, God is not against profit. It's not unspiritual to think about profit or to be better at making profit. But at some point, it has to go deeper. If we are followers of Christ, it has to go deeper than just profit, doesn't it? Like at some point, either Jesus is real and he's actually Lord of the universe and King of our lives and Savior of the world, or he isn't. And if he isn't, why just come to church and play a game? But if he is real, at what point do we start to say, I actually, yes, I have to work to make profits. I have to try to make profits. I have to think about making profits. But ultimately, I depend on him. I depend on him for my provision. See, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, also part of the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to get to in a few weeks. But he said this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? How many of us missed that one this week? That's a command from Jesus. Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. There's a difference between pagans doing business and followers of Christ doing business. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's not unspiritual. You need profit, yes. You need to be successful. That's great. You can be very successful for Jesus. Lots of rich people in the Bible. No problem with that. Okay? But the pagans run after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. So here's what he says. Here's your job. Seek first his kingdom. It's not bad to seek profits. You should seek profits. But prophets is second, third, or fourth, or wherever it is on that list. Jesus says, if you want me to take care of you, you seek first my kingdom. That's a radical call. Did you know that following Jesus is radical? We've got this idea that following Jesus is just be a Christian, be a nice person. You're essentially the same as all the other good people, but you go to church on Sunday and they don't. It isn't. It's radically different. You have now changed from seeking profit first or success first in the way of the world to seeking his kingdom first. And this comes under that umbrella. Seek first his kingdom. It's not just about not lying to people. Jesus came to be the fulfillment of the law. It's not just about telling lies. It's about loving others. Each one of these laws is about each human being is very, very precious to Jesus and very, very valuable. And now this person comes in. This is not just a means of making profit. Yes, you want to make some profit, but this is a means of helping that person. And if we lose sight of that, we are not making his kingdom first. We're not making his kingdom first. What does that have to do with anger? Let's get back to anger. It's not, just about don't mur- it's not just about don't murder. If we treat people badly, Jesus says that is a serious problem. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, the word there is reka. It's, a, it's an Aramaic word. It was a common term of abuse in Jesus' day. It's sort of equivalent to you good for nothing. You good for nothing, okay? Whoever insults his brother, you good for nothing. You moron. You idiot. Will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool we'll be liable to the hell of fire, okay? So people matter to God. People really are valuable to God, okay? So Jesus says, if you abuse them with your mouth, that's wicked. Now some of you are sitting there now, and now it's starting to sink in. And you're looking at that verse now, and you're looking around, and you're going, we're all going to hell. Isn't that true? I mean, we've all done this, haven't we? I mean, I don't think there's a person here, okay, or, or, or you're a very small minority. It's, I'm not in that group. I'm in a big group with, with everybody else. 
We've all done this to people. We've, we've torn down. We've gossiped. We have said hurtful things for the purpose of being hurtful, for the purpose of pulling down, belittling, contempt. And Jesus says a person who does that is actually in danger of the fires of hell. He's not joking. It's not someone that's going, whoa, we are all in the day, in, in, we're, all, we're all going to hell, okay? Well, I'm going to look at that in just a second. Let's first of all figure out what Jesus is not saying, okay? What Jesus is not saying. First of all, Jesus is not saying that the, the word idiot or the word good for nothing or the word fool in itself, you know, sends you to hell. He's not talking about the situation, for example, uh, you're with family or you're with friends and someone legitimately is doing something stupid and you just say, that's stupid, you're an idiot, stop being an idiot. And you're kind of rebuking them, but it's, it, 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 there's a relationship there and you're not tearing them down and your tone isn't tearing them down. He's not talking about that, okay? He's not talking about you get up in the morning, it's the day after Halloween, some teenagers egg your house and you're like, you mutter to yourself, stupid kids, okay? He's not, he's not, and now that might not be the best thing to say, I don't know, but let's face it, I mean, I'd, I'd say it. So, and you're not going to hell for saying it, Okay. <laughs> Um, you're not going to hell for that either. It's not what he's talking about. I mean, <laughs> when I was 16 years old, I, I did some very stupid things. Very, very stupid. Uh, one thing was, we lived in this bi-level, which is, you know, in a bi-level, you, you come in the entryway, and then the living room is about chest high, and then there was a few steps going down to the basement. And so here, the living room was about this high, and then we had this railing going around so people wouldn't fall out of the living room into the, into the entryway. And uh, the railings had some woodwork and, and all sort of stuff. And, and one day, I'm 16 years old. Why, what comes over a 16-year-old boy? I don't know. But I just had this sudden urge. I wonder if I could get my head through these railings. <laughs> and so I, I began to push, and I'm pushing, and there's different designs, and I'm looking for that right spot, and finally, the right angle, right spot, I get my head through these railings, okay? Now, problem was, it was a very tight squeeze, and it was just the right spot. I don't know if it's how big my ears are, the, the, the shape of my head at the back. I couldn't get it back out. So I'm between these, these railings now, my head, I'm in the entryway, my head is on the living room floor, and I'm trying to get my head out of the railings, okay? Now my mom walks into the, the living room at this point, and she just, very compassionate woman, just bursts out laughing, okay? And, and she says, you idiot! And then she doubles over laughing again. I'm pulling so hard, I think my ears stick out more because of this. My, my head was sore. I'm yanking before I finally found that right spot and managed to, to, to pop it out. My mom, an idiot, but she's not going to hell for that. She didn't need to say sorry, because I was an idiot, okay? <laughs> we had that, that same place, that, you know, on a bi-level. So you got like, I don't know, seven, eight stairs going down. But as you know, on a bi-level, you got these stairs going down, but because of the way it's all like this, the, the floor actually comes down into the, into the stairwell a ways. And, uh, but I'm not looking at the wall that's right in front of my eyes. My buddy's there, and I'm like, I'll jump to the bottom. And uh, I, so I took a run, and because I, I was just looking at the bottom. I can jump eight steps. There's no problem. And I jumped. I looked up as I was in the air. I just saw the wall coming like this. <laughs> I, 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 I knocked myself out. I woke up on the floor with a horrible headache. My mom was downstairs again, and well, she was laughing. And uh, <laughs> she had to wake me up every two hours that night to make sure I didn't have a concussion. But she said, you idiot, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about, all right? He is... He's not talking, okay, what he's, he's not saying that the word itself is a problem. What he's saying is it's the attitude, it's a term, it's contempt. It's when you show contempt for someone to, to belittle, to hurt, to lash out, to wound. That's what the problem is, okay? He's not talking about loving things. Now, you look at that and you say, well, what a, what a horrible, judgmental God. Like, I mean, you, you mess up with your words a little bit. And, and then now you're in danger of hell right away. You're in danger of judgment right away. What a horrible, judgmental God. No, 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 no. It's not that God's a horrible, judgmental God. 
The problem is that when this kind of stuff comes out of your mouth, it shows what a wicked heart you have. That's what it shows. It's not that God's super judgmental. It's that your heart, in order to be able to do something like this, your heart has to be in a very wicked place. Okay? Think about this again. It's not just do not murder. The reason do not murder is so serious is because people matter to God. They're made in the image of God. Well, that same thing that they matter so much to God and that they're so valuable to Him that they're made in His image is the same thing that means how on earth could I, what kind of a heart, what kind of a heart is capable of looking at someone who's made in the image of God, who is a child of God, who is deeply loved by God, and is capable of looking at a person like that and using words in a way to wound, to hurt, to put down, to humiliate, to abuse, to belittle, to gossip, to tear down. It's a wicked heart. And so Jesus says, the kind of heart, the kind of heart that can do that is a heart that's actually in danger of hell. It's very wicked, Okay? Now, of course, now none of us is perfect, okay? We all make mistakes. Not what Jesus is talking about here, but here's one of the ways that I know I'm saved. I'll tell you, this is one of the ways that I know I'm saved is because I'm like you. I'm not perfect. I have messed up on this commandment a number of times in my life. I've said things in anger. I've written things in anger that, that were not good. They were, they were terrible to, to wound, to hurt, okay? But here's how I know I'm saved. Here's how I know the Holy Spirit is living in my heart because I know the moment I use a word like that, if I gossip or if I say something, sometimes it takes five seconds, sometimes it takes five minutes, depending on the situation, maybe it takes a few hours, maybe it's the next day, but it'll be pretty close, pretty quick. I know when I use words like this, it doesn't take long, and I feel terrible. I feel terrible. Why? Because my heart, I'm saved. I got the Holy Spirit in me, and someone who's got the Holy Spirit in them can't abuse and belittle and, and wound people without feeling terrible about it. And so it doesn't take me long. That's what a saved heart is. A saved heart is a heart that is, has the Holy Spirit in it. And so a saved heart may, might mess up because we're not perfect yet. A saved heart will mess up, but you can bet a heart that has the Holy Spirit in it will feel terrible about doing this very quickly and will humble itself and will go back and say sorry. That's how you know you're saved. But a heart that belittles and abuses and gossips and tears down. And we always think we have a reason for it. You never tear down someone you don't think you have a reason for it. But you tear down that person at work. You tear down your boss. You, you tear down their motives. You tear down their character. Or you yell at someone. You abuse. You wound. The kind of heart that can do that and not feel bad about it is a heart that is in a very wicked place. Jesus says, it's not that God is judgmental. Jesus says, you can, maybe you pray to prayer and you go to church every week and Jesus says, that doesn't matter. The kind of heart that can do this and not, not feel bad about it is a heart that is, is probably not saved. That's a heart that that needs repentance. A heart that wicked, that dark, is in danger of judgment and hell. It's about what's valuable to God. People matter to God. It's not about God being judgmental. It's about people matter to God. You know, I have an old clunker of, an, of a bike, and uh, I've had that thing for years, and if I drive that thing uptown, and let's say I park it somewhere, I go into a store, and let's say some teenagers come out and egg my bike, you know, really, I'm, I'm not going to care that much. Don't get any ideas, please, guys, but, but um, <laughs> I'll wipe it off. It's fine. I don't really care about it, okay? Someone eggs my van, I'll care a bit more. I'll be more annoyed. I've got to wash that thing off. I mean, my van's more valuable to me than a bike, but ultimately, I'll be like, oh, kids. And ultimately, you know, I'm going to get over it pretty quick because, it, it's, I mean, it's more valuable to me than a bike. It's not that valuable. Now you imagine some of these, you know, some teenagers surround my, my little kids in a, in a playground or something, 
and they throw eggs on them and they humiliate them. My kids come back crying. Now I'm gonna have pictures in my mind of doing bad things to people, right? Isn't that true? It's true. It's true, that's righteous anger. That's, that's injustice, okay? I gotta make sure I don't sin in my anger, but I'm going to want to hurt people if that happens to my little kids. Why? Because they matter to me. They really matter to me. Think about this. There is a sense in which all human beings are in a sense the children of God. His creation. They're not all saved. I'm not saying they're all saved or all going to heaven, but there's a sense in which all human beings are the children of God in the sense that he made them, he created them, he knows them, he loves them. Would we dare to, in a spiritual sense, throw eggs on those people for any reason? To humiliate, to wound, to hurt, to tear down, to gossip? We would dare to do that? It's not that God's a judgmental God. It's just how wicked that is. How wicked is that? He's justified in his anger when we do that. Because people are so precious to him. Okay? Our words matter because they reveal the true state of our hearts. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36 to 37. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Let that settle in for just a moment. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Do you belittle your spouse? Wives, do you belittle your husband, disrespect him, tear him down when you're with your friends? Husbands, do you do the same to your wives? When you're at work, is that the way you get your way? By running over people? Insulting them? Belittling them? Do you lash out in anger at your kids? On judgment day, you'll be judged by your words because your words reveal what's in there. If the words are wicked, if your words would dare to hurt people, you, that do not murder, that do not murder command is about that. That is a wicked, only a wicked, wicked heart can do that and not feel sorrow and, and go back and humbly repent. Now, of course, again, the point here isn't if you have repented and now you're seeking God and you wish and you want to leave that stuff behind and, you, and all sorts of stuff. He's not talking about you're going to stand accountable for those words because there's forgiveness too. But if you're just walking in those words, that's your character. Jesus says, on judgment day, you'll give an account. Your words reveal your heart. Let's continue with the rest of the passage on the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, okay, first, you're there worshiping Jesus, you're doing spiritual activity, okay, and then you remember something you did to your brother. Your brother has something against you. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is how important this is to God, okay? This is how important this is to God, okay? You know, a lot of us, I mean, we don't even think of this as really a problem. You know, a lot of people, they come to church, and if you ask them, okay, do you have any sins you need to confess this week? They go through, I uh, didn't commit adultery, I didn't uh, porn, no, I uh, didn't steal or lie blatantly, no, I must be good, and we actually don't even think of hurting words. There's a trail of hurting people behind us. That doesn't even register with us as, as real sin, he says, this is, this is huge. And then you're going to keep coming to church and pretending like everything is good between you and God, but that's the thing. People are so important to God that if you've trashed someone with your words and wounded someone with your words, Jesus says, you and me are not cool right now. I mean, your devotions. People come to church and they wonder, you know, boy, the, the worship was just dry again. That's Zach. He just picks, it's boring songs. And Chris and the rest of those guys, you know, they pre another dry message this week. Well, 
Yeah, sometimes, sometimes that's true. Sometimes it is true, okay? Um, but I'll tell you something. When I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, pretty much doesn't matter what songs they pick, I'm going to experience them. When I have close fellowship with the Holy Spirit, it pretty much doesn't matter what someone will preach, but they're going to say a Bible verse, and it's going to speak to me, and I'm going to be changed. Because it's not about everybody else. The reason you feel dry is not because of the songs picked or the, me- the topic of the message. It has to do with the state of your heart. And people wonder, why are my devotions dry? One of the reasons, I mean, it's not the only, there's many reasons uh, for that, but one reason that people forget to check, and that is one of the big ones, is how have you used your words with people? Jesus says, you've, you've gossiped about your boss in the last two weeks, and now you're just coming to your devotions as if nothing's wrong. You've totally forgot about it. And I'm going, repent. You, you called someone out. You belittled your spouse. You, know, you first go make that right. Now come back. Now come back and worship. And I do love the hope in all of this. God knows we're not perfect. He doesn't say, you know, you mess up. You, you, you use your words to, to wound someone, and you and me are done. He doesn't say that. He also doesn't say, you use your wounds to wound someone and uh, I'm going to be mad at you for a long, long time. No. He says, first go make it right and then come straight back. I mean, it's just, it's about people. It's about loving God. It's about loving people. It's not about a bunch of religious activity. It's love God, love people, treat people well with your words. That's huge, 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 huge. He says, you go make it right, come straight back and you and me are right on again. But actually, he also takes it one step further here, doesn't he? Up to, the, up to this point, I've just been talking about the case where you've used your words to hurt somebody else. Where you've used your words to wound, to belittle, to gossip, to tear down. But actually, Jesus talks, when he talks about reconciliation, he actually goes one step further. What does he say there? I'm going to underline it now. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you. He doesn't say, and they remember that you said someone to something, something to someone. He just says, if they have something against you, now most of the time someone has something against you, it's because you did something, okay? So most of the time, your brother has something against you, it's because you said something, you wounded him, you did something wrong, go back and make it right. But he doesn't just say when you've actually done something wrong. He just says, if your brother has something against you. And there are some times when someone, your brother might have something against you, and actually maybe in that case, you technically didn't do something wrong. Maybe there was a, a deal went sour, I don't know some kind of awkward circumstance. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. I don't know why. But sometimes people have something against you that you didn't actually, technically didn't do anything wrong. And you think to yourself, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't try to wound him. I didn't call him any names. I didn't insult him. But he had something against me. Jesus says, actually, actually, huh, I'm going to bring the law alive even more. I'm going to add a bit more color and detail here. Actually, people are so important to me that if you can, if you can, someone has some, some, there's someone out there that feels like they got the short end of the stick even though technically you didn't do anything wrong. But actually, even then, try even then, I want you to try and go back. And maybe they won't have it. I mean, sure, sometimes people are unreasonable. That's out of your control. You don't got to feel bad about it. If they won't have reconciliation, if they won't turn around, that's not your problem. You and me are good right away. But I want you to try. You say, but, oh, but it's complicated. I didn't actually do something wrong. It's a very complicated situation. Uh, that's, that's why you pray. We're followers of Jesus, right? There's complicated situations. You don't know how to handle them. Jesus says, I want you to try and reconcile. Well, I don't know what to do, Jesus. Well, pray. That's what prayer's for. That's what we do. We're Jesus followers. 
You have a complicated problem, complicated relationship issue. Jesus says, I don't want you to ignore it. I don't want you to stuff it under the bed and forget about it. I want you to try and reconcile. You say, how? Go talk to him about it. And it's not that God's going to always tell you, I want you to be a doormat. I want you to always give in and let people walk all over you. That's not what he'll do. Sometimes you'll pray about it, and he'll tell you, you know what? I just want you to stay strong. You're in the right. I want you to stay strong. I don't want you to give an inch. I want you to treat them with respect, but I don't want you to give an inch. Other times he'll tell you, you know what? I don't even want you to go talk to them. Actually, in this case, it's, it's, it's not, that won't actually work. I want you just to stay out of it. I want you just to stay back and not say anything. He might tell you that. But you know that sometimes he's Lord of the universe. He's creator of the world. He's a savior. He died for us. Didn't have to do that. Sometimes you're going to go to prayer about it. He's going to say, I want you to let yourself be wronged in this situation. I, let, I want you to actually pay extra like they want, even though you don't have to, even though you shouldn't have to. I want you to let yourself be wrong. I want you to let yourself be cheated in this case because there's a bigger thing going on here and people really matter to me. So Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, he said, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? He's talking about Christians who have, who have disputes in the business world, in the marketplace. Now, some people have taken this to mean that you should always just let yourself be defrauded and wrong. It's not true. I can take you through the Bible and show you other things. It's not that you always have to be a doormat. But sometimes we have to be willing, at least, we have to be willing to see that people are so valuable that actually if I put the kingdom of God first, that actually means putting it first, not my kingdom. That means I actually sometimes listen to him and I actually do things that matter for his kingdom that make sense for his, but they don't make as much sense for mine because actually he's the boss. And people matter to him and it's all about people and God, loving God, loving people. And if you're not willing to pray about a situation like that, if you're not w- willing to listen, because sometimes we don't, I don't want to listen about that because I know I don't want to have anything to do with that person. I, I don't, I just, and if you're not willing to pray about it, that's a problem. If you're not even willing to listen about it, that shows you're not submitted. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? We love to talk about Jesus as our Savior, but you notice he's supposed to be our Lord and Savior. He's not just going to be your Savior if he's not going to also be your Lord. You know what Lord means? It means boss. It doesn't mean God. It means boss. He says, I want to be your Lord and Savior. I want to be your boss. It means you can listen to him about everything. You're supposed to listen and pray about everything. He says, if your brother has something against you, I want you to go back first and try and reconcile. Try and win them over, even if they don't have a proper reason. Win them over because people matter. And the kingdom of God is supposed to be sought first. I want to finish with this. There's three words. I mean, there's, there's more roads than this you can take. But I'll just simplify it down. There's just kind of three roads you can take in life. There's the low road, which is just do the easy thing. Take advantage of people. Sin. That's, that's a gross road. There's no joy in that. There's no experience of Jesus in that. That's a yuck road, okay? There's a higher road. It's the respectable Christian road, okay? And lots of Christians take it. And on the respectable Christian road, you don't take the low road, okay? And you obey the letter of the law. You don't murder. You don't steal. You don't lie. You don't do any of those things. And if you actually hurt someone, you'll probably say, I'm sorry. It's the respectable road. It's a much better road than the low road, but you know what? It's also too safe. There's actually hardly any experience of Jesus on the respectable road. The respectable road is just basically be a good person and go to church and say you believe in Jesus. You know, Jesus does not ask us to take the respectable, easy road. Just be a good person and add my name to it. There's a much, much 
higher calling on us as followers of Jesus. Jesus calls it the narrow road. It's the seek his kingdom first road, where it's not just about not lying, it's about putting his kingdom above your profits. It's about putting his kingdom above your interests. Not that intra- your interests and your profits aren't important, but they're secondary to his kingdom. It's a higher road. Jesus said, and we're going to look at this one too because it's in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the narrow road is the one he wants us taking. It's the total submission to him road. And he said that few ever find it. But you know what's the amazing thing about the narrow road, the high, high road, the Jesus way road, the seek his kingdom first road? It is a lot higher. Sometimes you, you do things often on that road that totally don't make sense to people on the world roads. Okay? But on that road, that's where you experience Jesus. That's where you need him. It's on the narrow road. That's where you're doing things for Jesus where it's like, I'm really going to need you. And that's where you experience answers to prayer. That's where you experience miracles. Jesus doing things in people's lives where you step out someone you would otherwise ignore, someone that you would otherwise take to court. And Jesus says, in this case, I want you to win them over by letting them wrong you. And now that person comes around. Miracles begin to happen. People are getting saved. People are being ministered to. That all happens on the narrow road. That's where you experience Jesus. That's the supernatural way. That's the higher way where you, get, where you get the joy of knowing that Jesus is boss of your life and you can pray about everything. And you're connected with him and his Holy Spirit is filling you up because you're trusting in him and he is good. So I have a weekly challenge for you guys this week. But we have a few minutes here and we'll do some listening right now about one of these things. But you won't have time to do all four. But we'll put this on Facebook. We'll email it out. We'll do all sorts of stuff. I challenge you to work through all four of these at some point during the week. But what I want to do right now is Jesus is Lord of our lives. I, w- I want you just to pick one of these four. We're just going to do some listening right now. And I'm just going to read through. I'll give you a couple minutes, then we'll do this. First one is, ask Jesus this question. And so you can take out a pen, paper, if you have phone, whatever you like to write on. We're going to remember. But you pick. You're not going to have time. Again, you won't have time to do all four of these. You just, you just pick one. But one question you can look at right now, the rest of these, whatever you don't get to now, you you do at home. But, Lord Jesus, show me anyone I've hurt or belittled or insulted. Just let the Holy Spirit talk to you. And again, we're going to, we'll email all this out. It'll all be on Facebook, so so you're not going to have time probably to write it all down. It's no problem. But just ask Jesus right now, Lord Jesus, show me anyone I've hurt or belittled or insulted. Or maybe that's not the one you want to do right now. Maybe you want to ask Jesus this question. Lord Jesus, in the chaos of my life, There are bills I've left unpaid, obligations I've not fulfilled, debts I've not honored where somebody else is holding something against me right now. You just ask them. Because you know what? You might, maybe you weren't intentionally trying to hurt someone. Maybe in the the chaos of your life, you've not paid things, you've not done things, you've not fulfilled obligations. There's people out there right now, and you carry the name of Jesus around. There's people out there right now who are hurting because of you. They feel like they got the short end of the stick because of you. And you're here in church today, and Jesus says, you want to know what true spirituality is? First, go reconcile. Go make it right. Go say, I'm sorry I didn't pay this bill on time. Maybe you don't have the money to pay it yet. Go down, go and tell them anyway, I'm sorry, and I'm going to make this right. That's true spirituality. First, go and be reconciled. Ask Jesus. Is there someone like that in my life right now? Maybe you want to ask him this question right now. I recognize that prophets are important. The prophets are important. It's not unspiritual to make prophets, to work hard to make prophets. But you tell Jesus, I recognize that prophets are important, but in my work, show me if there's any place where I'm pursuing prophets in a way that fails to trust you for provision 
and puts prophets above people in the advancement of your kingdom? Just ask him that. You say, oh, I want to ask Jesus that. I know it's scary sometimes up front, isn't it? But you will find, you're going to find joy in following Jesus. You will experience Jesus only when you actually make him Lord of your life. Fourth, maybe you want to ask Jesus right now, and again, all these I would challenge you to work through during the week, but right now I just want you to pick one. Fourth, Lord Jesus, is there a situation out there where you are calling me to go above and beyond? Maybe there's someone out there who's mad at you, but you actually haven't done anything wrong to them. And Jesus says, actually, maybe he's going to tell you in that case, just leave them alone. That's not going to help. But maybe there's a case Jesus is going to say, I want you to let them wrong you. I want you to, I want you to let them take advantage of you. I want you to be cheated. I want you to go the extra mile. I want you to go, I want you to have reconciliation. That's where you experience Jesus when you obey him. So I want you just to pick one of those. I'm going to give you a minute now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I want you just to write down. Just pick one of those. Say, Jesus, speak to me about this. Just write down whatever he shows you. Because Jesus said, this is what true spirituality is. What am I going to worship God after? What use is there in worshiping God if we're not willing to go and do what he said? He said, if you're at the altar and you remember that someone has someone, something against you, you go and make it right first, then come back. Lord Jesus, we want to be not fakers. We don't want to be fake Christians. Playing a game, not following you, not walking in the narrow road. Lord Jesus, we want to be people. We want to be people who are willing to do whatever it takes. We're going to reconcile. We're going to make things right. We're going to advance the kingdom of God by doing so. Jesus, we just want to take a minute here because you are the boss of our lives. We actually believe that. I pray that you would speak to us. There are people we need to apologize to. There's people we need to go and make things right with. There's people we need to go the extra mile. There's places in our work where we're not seeking your kingdom first. Write down whatever he shows you. Jesus, I want to just thank you that following you and obeying you, I've experienced this again and again in my life, is never death. Always we find joy on the other side of doing what you want us to do. Give us the courage to follow through and be radical, submitted to Jesus, seek your kingdom first, narrow road people. In your name we pray, amen.